0: Thank you to New York Apple Association for supporting this episode. New York State Apple Growers are proud to sponsor the TCS New York City Marathon and help runners recharge as they cross the finish line. Visit applesfromny.com and support local area farmers.
1: Welcome to Habitual Routine. I'm Coach Neek Lamar, and I'm joined by my co-host and co-coach, Roberto Manje. How are you doing, Roberto?
0: I'm doing well, Anique. Back for another round. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing pretty well.
0: So what do you or what do we have in store for our listeners today?
1: Well, today we're talking about rest, recovery, and nutrition. We are in the thick of our marathon training. Our athletes are in it, right? And these are three of those big areas of focus you have to nail down for your training to be successful. So I have a question for you. And I okay. think every coach has an answer to this. What is your philosophy on rest and recovery?
0: Great question. I would say mine has definitely evolved throughout the years, but the one I try to hammer on more now, especially as I work with newer and newer runners is the gains are in the recovery. And what I, I'll explain what that means is essentially no matter how hard you work, and we always think more is better and we could work harder and harder and harder, you're not going to make any gains in your fitness if you don't balance it with recovery. So the gains are in the recovery. So again, back in my days, I ran a lot and I thought more is more, but sometimes less is more. So you ha- want to have a balance. So again, my philosophy, gains are in the recovery. What about you, Anik?
1: That's a really interesting one because I think as I work with athletes, uh, What I would say is that you have to make time for this, right? And this is, it actually doesn't have to do with any of the like, how to recover, how to eat. The very first thing you have to do when you're thinking about putting rest, recovery, and nutrition into your schedule is making time and prioritizing. So I would say uh, what I get my athletes to understand is they have to schedule this stuff. It just doesn't happen organically. It's not intuitive that the minute you finish your run, you're going to walk in and like consume whatever it is you need to refuel. Uh, So it's about that prioritization. But don't take our word for it. We've got two pros, two literal professional runners, Jared Ward and Molly Huddle, and they're going to talk to us about the importance of rest and recovery in marathon training. So first, we're going to be talking to Professor Ward, which, because he's actually a professor, so we can call him Professor Ward. He's also known as uh, 2016 Olympian Jared Ward. He's breaking down actual strategies for you to think about and practice in your own rest, recovery, and fueling.
0: And second, we'll be talking to Molly Huddle, a two-time Olympian and podium placing finisher at the 2016 TCS New York City Marathon, about her approach to running holistically and how that has made her a better athlete.
1: Yeah, these two professional runners are about to put on a masterclass. The information that they share is so valuable as athletes, but also, you know, from a coaching perspective. So we really hope you take away what insight they're going to share with you right now. In 2015, Jared Ward took a gamble. Graduating with a master's degree in statistics from BYU and married with two kids, he took a year off of his quote unquote career path to prepare for the 2016 Olympic trials in L.A., And his career path changed. And if you were watching that race, if you were lucky enough to watch it, you saw his career path change as he raced into the Olympics. Jared is a Honey Stinger Hive Platinum athlete. He teaches and researches as a professor at BYU, coaches athletes online, and on the BYU cross-country team. He is a church-going proud husband and a father of four, and he is bent on making the Tokyo 2021 Olympic team in hopes of improving on his sixth place finish at Rio. Let's chat with Jared.
0: Our guest today is Jared Ward. Jared, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Roberto. This is going to be fun. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here. And then for you listeners, the goal of the interview today will be to create a strategy for runners on how to actively rest, recover, and feel while they're training for the marathon. So let's approach this from a runner's perspective, meeting them where they are right now in their training as they build up on their long run mid-cycle. So Jared, let's define rest and recovery before we dive into details on how to practice. How are rest and recovery different for you?
2: Well, you know, it changes. Uh, it changes through life and ages and every cycle changes a little bit. But I think um, one theme that rest and recovery has uh, become uh especially through these these more recent years is that that that's where train that's where gains in training are made and so i think it it becomes it becomes important to value your rest and recovery at least as much as you value your training because that's when you're getting your gains and so i i look at rest as an active and a very proactive process what am i putting into my body how am i resting What am I doing to increase circulation and blood flow? What areas do I need to maintain uh, strength? You know, what what do I need to be doing in the weight room to help me be able to train? You know, that type of stuff um, is an active process. And so I think, I don't know, maybe we have a tendency to view rest and recovery like this is the time that we're sitting down on a couch. But for many of us, that time doesn't happen in the day as much as we would like in prepping for a marathon. So what can I do while I'm at the park with my kids that's going to help me be recovering from my morning session? Or what can I do, um, when I'm cleaning the house or when I'm doing yard work or what, you know, and all this stuff can work into recovery. Um, if we're thoughtful.
1: And so Jared, what does your rest strategy look like during a week of training for you right now?
2: Well, it's, uh, you know, it, uh, I guess it involves prioritization and it's different every day, but, um, but it, you know, it, it involves getting up and getting out the door on my workout session before my kids are awake so that I can pull away and get that done before dad's home. Um, but that it means when dad's home, we're, we're making, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be creative at activities that I'm that I'm doing with my kids to help me recover. We were out in the backyard playing soccer the other day and that's dad moving around after a workout, getting a little bit of blood flow, um, not was, being, what's
1: that? I was going to ask, did you just like sit in the goal? Were you just no, to, no, no, not no, that no, kind no, of recovery? Not this
2: kind of recovery. No, they, you know, my kids, my kids are, uh, they're too smart to let dad just sit in the goal. <laughs> um, but no, I think, you know, and I think maybe it's mental, but, you know, I, I'm trying to build into this day. You know, I get home, kids are like, Hey dad, we just got new soccer cleats. Can we practice soccer? They have games tonight. I'm coaching my four-year-old, but the old, the older kids are playing too. And everyone's hot on soccer right now. And so I'm walking outside thinking I just finished a workout an hour ago. I have, I've fueled a little bit after the workout, but I haven't eaten. So I go to the fridge and I drink 20 ounces of water real quick. And I grab two bites out of a bar um, on the way out, and then i 'm outside thinking, "Okay, how can this be productive and movement is good, right? You know movement helps recovery that 's why we that 's why we cool down after a workout okay and and so movement is good now i don 't want to be working out out there. my workout's over but but that 's what i'm telling myself i 'm saying, okay, well, movement is good, and being out on the backyard on the grass, I take my shoes off and I think okay i 'm barefoot on the grass that's you know that's an aspect of recovery." And, um, you know, it's, it's about building a day around recovery and being mindful of this fueling and this, this, this idea of active recovery. But I also think it's healthy mentally. You know, if I, if I'm out there thinking, oh gosh, I'm playing soccer with my kids and I just had a workout and I need to rest and I got another workout tomorrow, then it becomes a self-fulfilling destructive prophecy to tomorrow's workout. And I think mentality plays a big role.
0: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and one thing you kind of touched upon, which is, seems to be the theme of the last few interviews we've done with some of our professional runners, is that, you know, professional runners, they're just like us. And obviously you're a full time pro, a runner, um, and you're also a, a father. But you know, for those of us listening out there, how can non professional runners approach rest with the demands of their everyday lives?
2: Well, you know, I think we all get to choose how we're going to be dynamically adaptive in a a day-to-day schedule that's different for all of us. And, you know, I, I do have, uh, the luxury of being a full-time athlete. Um, but I teach part-time and I have kids and, but, but everybody has other stuff going on. And so I, I, I do have the luxury of not working a nine to five, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. But, um, but I don't feel like I have the luxury of just coming home and laying down in between training sessions without doing anything, and um, and so I think in that respect we're all trying to accomplish the same thing of fitting things into our lives that we love while prioritizing the things that are the most important to us, and um, and running is very important to me, you know, obviously. And uh, and so I, I try to give that some level of priority, um, but you know it's it's just going to be different for everyone. I, I don't know that there's a a one patch fits all, um, which is which is what we all want. But I think that this process starts with sitting down and saying, okay, how can I control my own life? You know, there are things that I'm frustrated about there are, you know, and that might be logistical or emotional or otherwise, and those things are going to affect training. And we can sit and worry about why, um, you know, why our lives hard or why this isn't going to work out. Or we can sit and think about what we have control over and what we can do. You know, I, I, I've thought about this with injury um, a number of times. I, I've coached, I coach with uh, Des Linden, um, our Endure Strong team, and we'll talk about injuries. And I think Um, you know, and everything relates in running, but when we talk about injuries, a lot of times it's someone coming in and saying, Hey, you know, I was, everything was going perfectly. And then, um, I injured my shin, you know, and they're just so interested in getting back to running and, and honestly feel like, you know, a lot of times we feel like something has been taken from us. You know, we've just been robbed. We've done all this training and this hard work. And now five weeks out from the race, we've just been robbed of something, um, Because we're injured and we want to train, but we can't. And if we consider ourselves a victim of injury, then I feel like we have a tendency to sit back and say, oh man, how how come did this have to happen to me? Or, you know, it's so unlucky and we can go down that spiral for a long time. But um, if instead we can say, hey, how can we get through this? I remember breaking my leg for the last race in college. It was the qualifier race for nationals. I was in the best shape of my life. Um, I had a little stress reaction that we were worried about, but I decided to run anyways. And my, my leg broke the rest of the way through and, uh, mid race. Okay. One step, the leg was fine. The next step, the leg was broken. And that was the end of my senior year. And I remember, but I remember coming home and thinking, okay, um, I want to run professionally. And, uh, now there's not a big line of endorsements or agents or opportunities. Cause I just ended my college career with a broken leg, but I want to do it. And so I went to the doctor and he said, well, you're going to need a cast. And I said, well, can you make it waterproof? Because I want to swim on it. He
1: said, sure. <laughs> Smart. So I got
2: a waterproof cast. Right. And I swam on it. And then I went in three weeks later and said, Hey, I know you said I need to stay in this for six weeks, but if I promise to stay in a boot, except for when I'm biking, can you cut this off and I'll wear a boot? And the doctor said, sure. And so he cut it off and I started biking. <laughs> um, and, you know, I have a fantastic wife. Uh, you know, she was she was doing all sorts of Googling for what type of foods do you eat to help stimulate bone growth. And I started getting raisins in everything. I don't know what it is about raisins.
1: Um,
2: and frankly, I don't even know if eating raisins does anything for bone growth, but mentally it did. I was, when I sat down to dinner, I was thinking, okay, Eric has put raisins on the table and she's researched this and I'm eating raisins and it's going to help. And I think we can approach, you know, rest and recovery and nutrition and all of these things. You know, if, if we think of ourselves as victims, oh, I got to work a nine to five. I'm too busy. I, you know, I wish I had more time to prep nice food or healthy food. I wish I had, I wish I had, we can go down that road or we can say, okay, what can I do? And then when you're sitting down eating something, even if it's less than perfect, Instead of thinking, oh, I wish I could, we're thinking, hey, I'm doing, I'm recovering, I'm fueling to recover, and I'm proactively doing that. And I think that proactive mentality is, uh, I don't know, it it just kind of catches fire. And the more we do that, the better we get at recovering and positive mindset and and fueling success.
0: Yeah, that's actually wonderful. And I really like your, or appreciate your philosophical approach, because again, like I said, what seems to be the theme the last few interviews with a lot of the professional runners is just how they're just so similar to us. And we tend to not, you know, have a bit of disconnect as the regular fans seeing, you know, your runner showing up to races and, and it's so good to see the mindset and how you deal with setbacks and how you approach it. Cause you're right. If you are injured or you want to recover better, it's really how you reframe it and focus it. So definitely appreciate that sort of tidbit. I think it'll go a long way for our runners.
1: Yeah, and I, I think if there's one thing that we've seen that you know could be a masterclass from speaking to pro athletes, and I, I love what you're saying, Jared. It's this idea that you can find um, gratitude, you can find um, you know holistic health. You can you can just find a lot of value in these moments that you know either you can look at them like you're trying to inject you know uh, rest into a family soccer game, or you can say like this is good enough, and it's going to be in the service of my work. And I think framing rest and recovery for everybody has to be seen in that lens otherwise it's just too much of like I'm giving up too much or i'm I'm not with my family like how can you choose between your family or your physical well-being Those things have to be happening at the same time. So if it's really that merging uh, switching gears ever so slightly let's talk about recovery what it looks like after a normal run like a normal easy run versus what it's going to look like after a harder effort or a long run I think it'd be really helpful to co- contrast and compare. Uh, so athletes can really understand the difference there. How would you approach that?
2: Oh, uh, That's a fair question, Anique. And I, I would say that maybe surprisingly, it's it's not a lot different. So when I finish a run, I am looking to get fuel in me within 30 minutes. And I want balanced fuel. I want something that has carbohydrates and protein and fats in it they're all important the the fats help carry nutrients the carbohydrates help replenish glycogen stores and your body is most receptive to that replenishing right after working out and then the proteins um, maybe obviously uh, get into your blood and help repair damaged tissue and I want all of that stuff almost no matter what the workout session was, whether it's a four mile, easy jogging run or whether it was a 25 mile marathon, you know, prep workout. And, um, and so that's something that I, I really don't, um, compromise on and there's a good, better, best here, right? Like I think, you know, we can get, we can get all natural, organic, very balanced, full 10 grams of protein, you know, 300 calorie, perfect snack in after running. Or we can have gummies because they're in the car.
1: Right?
2: <laughs> and I, I think that like so, so many times as, as runners we get so caught up on um, you know platinum label uh, nutrition that we wait until we're able to get that platinum label nutrition when really getting something in is 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 so much better than nothing. And so, yeah, we aim for the best and we try to prep for the best. Um, but, um, but when you only have, when you only have fruit chews in the car, you eat fruit chews. Okay. And I think that's kind of, that's my mentality with this stuff is that there's a, there's a good, better, best, but we take what we can get. And so that's important. And then hydration. And so the, I guess this is where it's maybe a little different. If I, if I've had a long, hard workout and I'm dehydrated, then a primary focus over the next six or eight hours is get rehydrated. And I'm drinking all the time. I have a cup that's out next to my fridge and every time I walk past, I'm drinking. And on those hard recovery days, I'm drinking until almost until my stomach hurts every time I walk past, right? I'm just <laughs> trying to get that fuel back in or that water back in. And, um, and recovery is, is, uh, very correlated to being hydrated or has been. And so, so on hot days, I'm very much focused on that. Um, so I don't know it, you know, it's, it's funny. Um, you know, it, it maybe seems like it should be so different depending on the different types of workouts, but it's just something that's become such a habit that when I finish a run almost before I can focus on anything else, I need to begin nutritionally this recovery process.
0: You know what, Jared, I will say I appreciate that response because I was half waiting for you to call me out on eating Mike and Ike's right before we came on <laughs> on air, which is one of those behind-the-scenes <laughs> things that people don't know about. But, you know, so I, also as a fellow father, I definitely know what you're talking about as far as driving in, like, all right, there are gummies there, and, you know, part of your recovery or your nutrition involves your kids' leftover. Um, but also kind of on that same topic as active recovery, um, what does that look like? Or does it look differently for you in the midst of a pandemic? Um, Yeah,
2: it's been different, you know, because I'm not, uh, I'm not driving to a to see a physical therapist or a massage therapist, uh, you know, like I used to. And so there are aspects of recovery, you know, and I, I call those, you know, very active recovery is going to do something to um, to help you heal better. I'm fortunate that my wife is a massage therapist. So I get some of that care at home. We have four kids, so we're all pulling at mom from, from five different directions. Uh, and so, uh, but she's very good too. When I say, Hey, I got something going on on my leg and I, you know, hop up there on the couch and she'll push on it for five minutes. And, um, and so I, I do feel like I'm, I'm very blessed in that way and, and have, a, a significant advantage having a built-in massage therapist, but, <laughs> but it it is different, you know, the, the recovery sessions and, and uh, seeing trainers and and things like that has been a different experience. And so you got to get creative at home. I think, well, you know, my, my uh, I'm not going in to see the massage therapist. So I'm going to try to spend a little extra time in my rapid reboot recovery boots. And um, I'm going to spend a little more time rolling out and uh, uh, things like that using, you know, I, I, uh, part of a, part of a business venture. I, I, uh, worked on developing this product called the meteor and I spend a little more time on my meteor because I have it at home and, um, and I liked it to begin with, but now I love it. And so I think, (laughs) you know, building in, building in, uh, I don't know, your, uh, your lifelines right around having my lifelines right around me has been, um, has been helpful for that too.
1: Uh, Jared, I want to take us back to this good, better, best, but take what you can get philosophy Hmm. to nutrition. Because I think that this is something like you hit the nail on the head. This is something that as runners, we want that perfect snack, but we need to just take in fuel, right? And so thinking about fuel in three parts, the pre, the mid run, and the post run, how do you approach strategizing for this? I'm not guessing you're always picking up the fruit roll mid-run. But uh, but how do you approach uh, this nutrition and fueling?
2: Well, I think, you know, there's a, I don't know, there's a psychology to uh, giving your credit, giving yourself credit for getting good nutrition, even if it wasn't best, right? And so if we we pick up the Snickers bar because that's what's in the car and we eat it after a run and we kick ourselves for the rest of the day, uh, that doesn't help the psyche of nutritional healthy focus, right? That, that fuels the negative psyche. But if we instead grab the Snickers bar and we tell ourselves, you know what? I uh, got something in after the run. That was good. Um, maybe next time it'll be a little bit better. It's a more positive approach. And so I find... Um, Anik, that the more that we, the more that I have focused on getting something in, but giving myself credit for um, at least having something or at least being proactive enough to get something in, then um, it fuels this positive psyche that I get better at preparing with the better stuff. So I think, you know, give yourself credit for, for what you're doing and then that process is going to, as it self fulfills, become better and better. And, I, and I, I'm pretty well planned now. You know, I, I head out the door and, um, and I have a, you know, my bag that I'm walking out with that has my, my pre-run Honey Singer waffles in it and my mid-run gels in it um, and my post-run protein in it. And that's not a bag that I leave the house with now. Um, when I'm headed to a workout. And, uh, and I think that, you know, as I continue to find, you know, what, what places can I go to, to get the right recovery meal after I run, if I'm a little bit too far, it's going to be too long before I'm home um, to get something there. Or what can I, you know, when I go to Costco, what am I getting that I'm putting in my house that I'm going to use to fuel with productively? And I think that, that process just gets a little bit better and better as we find things that work for us. You know, it's, and everyone's different. You know, I, I, I eat a lot of dark chocolate. So Roberto, you want to talk about Mike and Ike's I eat dark (laughs) chocolate and I tell myself that it is some of the healthiest stuff I could be eating. And I have a whole list of justification. Why? Right. And, um, it, it, but I love it. And I love the, the reality is that I love dark chocolate and I eat dark chocolate.
0: Um, (laughs) but, <laughs> I love that admission. This <laughs> is like that's it. <laughs> I, I do it. All right.
2: <laughs> but I think, you know, that's the, and so when, when I'm at the store and I'm getting stuff and I'm filling up my pantry with the things that work and settle well for me, I got dark chocolate in there and I can eat dark chocolate covered almonds and head out the door on a run. And my stomach feels great. Okay. <laughs> uh, I don't think everybody's like that, but, I've eaten enough dark chocolate covered almonds that my stomach can handle those. And so I think, you know, we build things that work well for us too. It's, you know, our our stomach is a muscle that we're preparing for marathon running just like all the other muscles in our body. And when your stomach is used to certain foods then it's going to handle those better, and then I encourage you to incorporate those, incorporate those into your training and even into your racing, or incorporate what you're racing with into your training to, and in your your regular dietary, um, you know, spread to vet out the stuff that works for you and the stuff that doesn't work for you. And when you find the stuff that really works for you, then then use that. And I think everybody's a little bit different there. Um, Roberto could probably handle Mike and Ike's uh, mid run better than <laughs> I can handle Mike and Ike's mid run. um, (laughs) that's a different race (laughs) (laughs) but you know i think that that's uh that kind of becomes the game and and as we uh, it's just it's been my my very you know i i have a very strong feeling that we need to be more positive with ourselves i think that i um i i had big breakthroughs in college when I started giving myself credit for the things I was doing well. And this applies to nutrition. It also applies to training and rest and recovery and, and everything As as I isolated the things I was good at, as opposed to continue to dwell on the never ending list of things I wish I was better at, I got better. And my rate of improvement was, probably doubled i just I, I just got better so much faster and i got so much more confident i'd get on the start line telling myself all of the things that i've done well as opposed to circling back and remembering all of the things that didn't go well and so you know you talk about uh dietary habits or fueling habits or whatever i think as we start baby steps by mm-hmm isolating things we're good at there's a positive momentum that at least in my experience we can uh, carries carries us a
0: long ways honestly this is a podcast so the listeners at home can't see me but i'm I'm over here clapping because so much of what you're saying (laughs) not only am i a fan of it the positivity but it also resonates as as obviously a um as a runner and a coach so thank you so much for sharing that as we wrap up i have i guess one or two questions number one are you still just getting after the raisins or did you give that up <laughs> now that your legs are healed? <laughs> the listeners you know, are going to want to know.
2: <laughs> I kind of like raisins. So they, you know, <laughs> I had oatmeal this morning and my oatmeal had raisins in it. So
0: no, I'm still eating raisins. All right. And then the last question for those of us who have known you for a while as for a professional run and follow your career, just maybe a minute or two, what's the deal with the mustache? Again, this is a podcast, but, you know, you're known for it. It's kind of like your, your signature.
2: (laughs) You know, my wife has asked me that a few times over (laughs) the last She actually fed me this question. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, man. So let, let me, uh, I I started it in college um, when we would have stashies for Nashies at cross country nationals, right? And the, the crown of the team with the best mustache was second only to the national championship. Crown itself. (laughs) And uh, I went to BYU. Um, A lot of us served uh, church service missions for our church. And so we were, you know, a couple years older than other guys in the NCAA. We grew relatively good mustaches. (laughs) It was an easy win. And uh, it just became something that kind of stuck. And so it started with stashes for Nashies. And then it became every time I had a big race coming up, I'd grow a mustache. And then uh, it just became. I don't know. It just became part of my face. I guess I shaved one year after the Boston marathon, right before going to a big socony corporate event in Grand Rapids. And I was asked so many times if I was growing my mustache back out that I began <laughs> to worry that I was going to lose endorsements <laughs> if I didn't, if I didn't put my mustache back on my face.
0: So All I don't know. Well, fair enough. I'll just consider it your, your Rocky four montage phase, but, um, okay. yeah. that's probably a more concise way of saying it. You know? <laughs> you know? I, should, I should think about my answer to that question. It's your eye of already. the tiger. Yeah. Just talk with your wife over. Um, but yeah, tag Rocky three there you go rocky four rocky four, four rocky yeah, four yeah. that's right yeah nobody <laughs> remembers rocky three is rocky four but uh jared i really want to thank you so much on behalf of myself anik and certainly the the listeners and runners out there for for your time today and i guess the last thing i'll say good luck to your kids tonight and Their soccer aka football game <laughs>
1: Thank you to Snyders of Hanover for supporting this episode. As we all know, recovery is an essential part of any training plan, and that includes fueling, which we're talking about all during this episode.
0: Yeah, exactly. Each year, we talk about our various expo about the recovery and how it starts the minute you cross that finish line, whether it's a long race, short race, and even long runs.
1: Yeah, New York Roadrunners' official pretzel has continued to keep our runners charged after their run with slow-baked and unbelievably crunchy pretzels. Visit SnydersofHanover.com to learn more. Man, every time we talk to Jared, he has some nugget of wisdom to share with us. Uh, He's one of those people that is really thoughtful about his coaching and his running, and there's so much knowledge to share. Roberta, what was your main takeaway from talking to Jared?
0: It's actually tough to just say one. Uh, I guess I'll first say that Jared, to me, is one of those unique runners that isn't just fast, but actually is and will make down the road a better coach. Um, sometimes people attribute being a fast runner with being a good coach. But I would say one of the main takeaways was just his positivity and his his outlook, his ability to you know, face the same issue that maybe somebody else might face, but how he is able to pivot it and make it more proactive approach. So I think that's something that really resonated with me and hopefully does with the listeners. What about you?
1: I think it's that good, better, best, uh, and then take what you can get idea. You know, we sort of immortalize these professional athletes of having perfect situations. And in many ways they do, right? They're supported by bigger resources than us, but they also have kids and families and they also want to be good parents. And And I just think it's really tremendous how he's saying to us and and to himself, like, take it easy on yourself. You're doing the best you can. And that is actually enough, in his case, to make the Olympic team. And I just think that all athletes can take a lot, you know, me as well, from that sort of mindset.
0: Yeah. And our our next guest is actually um, another fellow Olympian, um, Molly Huddle. Molly is a two-time Olympian for Team USA in the 5 and 10,000 meters as well as the American record holder in the 10,000 and half marathon distance. Wow, that's just impressive. Along with that, she's a 28-time national champion. She's currently chasing marathon dreams as a professional runner for Gatorade Endurance. Molly splits her time between Scottsdale, Arizona and Providence, Rhode Island. Let's chat with Molly.
1: Molly, thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, we're so happy to have you here because you've got expertise in a lot of areas um, besides professional running, and so we're going to get into that. But I think a lot of runners believe professional runners run and exercise, and like that's about it. Uh, can you debunk that myth and talk a little bit about what your actual day looks like as a professional athlete?
3: Yeah, there's a lot of um, recovery enhancing and recovery based activities going on between workouts, right? So um, we can only really run, like, work out maybe three to four hours of the day, maybe, you know, broken into a morning run, an evening run, maybe a weight session. But usually before each run, I'm doing some kind of um, activation drills or foam rolling. And it's important to rest. So ideally a nap or just staying off your feet for an hour or two between workouts is important. Um, and you want to be eating high quality food. So I try not to rush meals and try and make something healthy uh, for breakfast, lunch and dinner. And usually there's a good amount of body work involved at this level. So you might have a massage or a chiropractor appointment um yeah and if you're ambitious you can fit a few hobbies in there or extracurricular activities so <laughs> <it's> <laughs> kind of interesting to see what people like to do when they're not working out
0: that's a, a, a great point because i know that a lot of times professional runners are just kind of put on a pedestal and they're just seen as they run or they show up to the race and they run really well and then you don't see them again till who knows and then people don't realize how much goes into so obviously you just touched upon that a little bit but A big part of it for, again, professional runners or recreational runners alike is nutrition. That's the fuel that carries us through the day, whether we're training hard or racing. So for somebody like you, who's obviously full on and been at it for a while, um, how does nutrition play into your recovery? And I'm talking before, during and after your runs.
3: Yeah, especially as an endurance athlete, like so and even more so when I moved up to the marathon, I feel like nutrition became like an even bigger variable in my performance. So, we all kind of talked about recovery-based nutrition and just feeling yourself before the run, and I feel like um apart from sort of like focusing more on carbohydrate-based um fueling, like I pretty much had that down. Um During the run, fueling was like a whole new world for me. But, like I said, you know, more so towards the marathon and those like more extreme endurance events, that has been a really important variable. That I feel like if you can get race, like mid workout or mid race nutrition nailed down, it can help you maybe beat people that normally on paper you wouldn't think you could beat or have a performance that is closer to your potential than before, because that science side of the nutrition game is really becomes a bigger factor the longer you're out there. So yeah, for me, we played around with um, like the best feeling strategy over the years for the marathon. Um, Gatorade endurance has been what I've been with the last few years. And that's so far, that's been my favorite as far as their gels being like really easy on my stomach and um, the endurance formula being, you know, just something really reliable to have in my bottle on race day. And luckily I've been able to even go to the Gatorade Endurance Lab to see like exactly how much I need as far as um, how much hydration I lose, how much salt I lose, how much carbohydrate I burn for me personally. So that's been really cool to see because... I don't know, I was a science major in college, so the science side of it gives me a lot of confidence to know like, <laughs> this is the number I need to take for this pace for, for this mileage and you just feel like you're doing it um, as close to like ideal and as close to perfect as you can to so try and like, at least have that little piece of the puzzle figured out because in a marathon, a lot can happen. So you want to know that like the fueling is down and you're going to be um, like feeling good and feeling fueled and hydrated the whole way.
0: So that's a, a great point. Obviously, you know, you're an elite athlete and have been for a while and, and you have access to all these great resources. But before that, you were very successful at the shorter distances from high school through college and beyond. And then even when you're running professionally, you were doing long runs. So obviously fueling was a part of that long run. But you said transition to the marathon, you really had to dial that in. And you had, you know, great help from Gatorade and, and, and you know, the labs and things like that. But for us mere mortals listening out there, if we're trying to train for a marathon, how do we dial that in? How do we experiment and, and, and you know, learn what works for us in the long run? Because obviously it's trial and error, but not everybody has all these great resources. So what would you say to, you know, kind of help somebody bring along?
3: Yeah, for sure. Not everyone has a lab they can go to. Um, <laughs> but there's some, you know when I started marathoning, I would get advice from my training partners and my training partner, Kim used to weigh herself before and after a hot long run and see how much like actual pounds of fluid she would lose and try and like, there's formulas for how much you should be drinking for how much weight you lose on a long run in sweat. Um, but yeah, it's more just experimenting and like using it in practice and seeing what you can handle. Um, you know, there's guidelines, like for example, I try to take a gel or, Uh, endurance formula, um, every like race day it would be 5k, but like roughly 20 to 30 minutes. Um, so if you kind of like follow those guidelines and see how you feel doing that, can you take a little more, can you take a little less? Um, that's a great place to start. And we have time to do that right now. Like I know it's a (laughs) downside that we can't have the real Boston marathon virtual right now, or like the real New York city marathon is virtual right now, but, that means when the stakes aren't as high, you can kind of like experiment more in practice. Um, so then when things come back, you'll have known, you'll know exactly what works for you because those little mistakes, like if you go over and have too much or not enough, like you can kind of deal with that in a non-race setting. Um, so I guess that's kind of a silver lining <laughs> to all this is you can kind of experiment and good things can sometimes come out of experimentation. So that's kind of the way I'm looking at it. But um, even though I'm not even getting ready for a marathon right now, I feel like I've taken the fueling. like I've seen how much it can help me recover when I fuel mid long run. I mean, my long runs right now are only like 16 to 18 miles. Cause I'm not getting ready for a marathon. And I used to only. take, <laughs> I know that doesn't, it's like, that's still very long. I, mean, yeah. I used to actually never take, um, like bottles during that distance because I was like oh it's not 20 so I don't need it and now (laughs) after marathon training I'm like you know it really helps you recover if you take one or two bottles during that time you just don't get as depleted you don't get as dehydrated you don't get muscle cramps so um, I feel like I've taken that with me from marathon training and it's kind of helped even my track training because then I don't come into the next workout as depleted and as beat up
1: yeah. And as you said, that recovery is like half of your job. It's the work, but it's also getting all that good quality recovery. And, and I know as coaches, we're always telling our athletes, like, there's no perfect fueling formula for you. You have to go individualize it. You have to figure out what works for you. So you heard it from Molly Huddle. That's how it's going to work. You have to find out what works for you athletes. Um, switching gears a little bit, Molly. You know, I've been a fan of your athletic performances for many, many years now, but I have to tell you, I'm a huge fan of your Keeping Track podcast with Alicia Montano and uh, Rashine McGettigan-Dumas. Um, this is a side of you that I haven't seen because, you know, usually I'm watching you sprint across a track or, or on the roads, uh, but this is this has been so exciting to watch you work with. Um, I know Roberto has some questions about the podcast and, and representation and the running community and equity. Um but can you talk a little bit about what it means to approach running more holistically, meaning like having other side projects, having other big parts of your identity out in the public um, and how it's helped you train and be a better athlete.
3: Yeah. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <to that. laughs> um, it's been cool. It's been such a fun project. I always love collaborating with friends on projects. I've done a few things over the years with like some of my really good friends that I've met through running. And so that just makes it even more like, even though it's an extra thing that I'm doing, it's kind of more energizing than tiring because it's fun and it's fulfilling. And I like the excuse to talk to Roshin and Alicia. (laughs) So, (laughs) um, and I just feel like, yeah, like our collective ideas are um, kind of really constructive things to talk about in the running world and things we wanted to talk about. So it's been cool to have a platform for that. Podcasts are great for that. I know, the, um, pandemic has produced a lot of podcasts. I feel like even though ours for that.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, you know, kind of on the same vein, you recently wrote on an in- Instagram, um, when you love something, you want it to be better. So what does a better running community look like for you? Um, as far as representation and equitable pay?
3: Yeah, I feel like, um, you know, the things that we're saying aren't meant to be like hurtful criticisms or make the hurt, like, any of the organizations in the running world, but just we feel like they can be better. And to me, that means a v- more variety of people, um, you know, more diversity involved in running. And also like at the top, like when we talked to Alison this year, she made a good point that, you know, she wants to see more race directors who are like of all different backgrounds who are of all different races, who are men and women. Cause right now it looks pretty much the same and, um you just get the best of everyone's like upbringing and the best of their culture and the best of their um like what what makes them who they are when you have that diversity involved at all levels at the leadership level the participation level um and so that's what we want to see in the running world we know it's a very um as a lot of people were saying it's a very white space and we want to see it just more welcoming to everybody because running offers such great things. And we want to see that available to everybody. We think it, you know, it can really, we see the way running improves people's lives. And we see the way, um, you know, even young athletes, the confidence it gives you the healthy lifestyle it promotes, like just, it's just all around something we want to see available to everybody. Um, and so we think that's a big part of it, the diversity in the running space. And, um, the equal pay side of things, I feel like as a female athlete, it's just, it's a topic that is really, uh, you know, essential. We're seeing it in other sports as far as like women's soccer, women's basketball. And, um, you know, we see it, Alicia was big with sort of the maternity uh, pay situation and distance running is, is not much different than it is in any other sport as a female athlete. And so, We feel like this was a good platform to talk about that topic too. And um, Alicia has done some amazing things with her foundation and mother and just with the voice, like using her voice, you know, not even on just our podcast, but in the New York Times op-ed piece. And um, she's been on a lot of news channels speaking just like very um powerfully on that topic you know that's a story she's lived and so we feel like i feel like she is actually changing the sport in that way for female athletes so those have been two cool topics we feel like that we've um been able to talk about in a way that's really constructive and that has been you know based on the feedback actually like reaching people so that's been cool
0: yeah and um not only do I agree with that, but it's also as somebody who's known you for a long time. We we're saying before we we came on the air that you and I go so far back we can't remember when we first met. Um, so for me, it's been really cool watching your career from you know a really good collegiate runner to a pro, um, and then just seeing your evolution and being able to use your platform, um, to just you know empower other runners and motivate other runners, women, men, people, um, of all genders and races, and. Haven't been in the sport for you know seemingly such a long time now. How um, how have you been able to find your voice throughout that? Because it's definitely been an evolution of Molly Huddle.
3: Yeah, for sure. Like I feel like I'm probably not someone who would be um, pegged as starting a podcast because I'm usually pretty <laughs> shy and like not super out like. Um, yeah, I don't know. I definitely couldn't do this without two wing women because I, I feel like I wouldn't have the confidence and I feel like um, it definitely helps having, you know, our support. You know, I feel like Nero and Alicia kind of like cheer each other on and embolden each other for things that aren't easy to talk about. Um, but I feel like as you get older in the sport, you kind of see areas that you want to change or improve or speak on and it's just a natural evolution. We've seen it with a lot of our um, – Older athlete, not older, but like as you get more involved in the sport, you just um, tend to take a role. You choose a role, you see an area that you want to sort of improve or take a leadership area or more of a voice in. And um, I've definitely noticed some other athletes doing the same, and it's inspiring. And uh, I, it is kind of a natural part of it. You're like, what can I give back or what can I um, shine some light on, having been here a while?
1: Yeah, Molly, can we talk into that a little bit? Because I think that dynamic is so interesting of these, you know, your co-host and these other women in the industry, sort of, uh, you know, not egging each other on, but bolstering each other and keeping each other um, accountable and moving forward. Can you unpack that a little bit and what that dynamic looks like? Because um, I think that's one of the the real hooks to helping people find their voices is, is you know almost like you take the lead for a little bit. Now I'm going to, take. it's like a good pacing strategy. Like you take the lead, then I'm going to take the lead for lap two and you take the lead for lap three and all of us are going to run really fast times. Uh, But can you talk into a little bit about that dynamic with you and some of the other women that you work with?
3: Yeah, I think definitely Alicia is the brave one. <laughs> so <laughs> she, she just plowed forward with the um, the Ann Mother campaign, and um, the New York Times op-ed piece broke it open for a lot of athletes. You know, we saw Allison Felix talk after Alicia. We saw, you know, Kara Goucher speak out, and I feel like she Alicia was the one that was kind of like. I'll see what happens here first you know Mm -hmm. this is what I want to say so she's always been the one that is like very um like sure in her voice and confident there and then um I tend to I'm more I'm actually more of just like the organizer (laughs) I just like um try and do a lot of scheduling and like be supportive but um I think Donut. me and Roshin both, yeah. uh, both have good insights. Like, Roshin is actually a, ther- a licensed therapist and also was a professional runner that I trained with. So I feel like she has some great insights into any, like, sport psychology um, areas. And um, she's also from Europe, so she's kind of plugged into the, like, athletic scene over there, which I think is a cool point of view to have. So um, I think, yeah, we all bring something to the table. And oh. we're definitely inspired by um you know some of the other women like we talked to Lindsay krauss who's just been like doing huge things for uh, female athletes via the new york times and um you know other women like that
0: yeah yeah, and- yeah i love Lindsay. actually if she's listening um i know her and i owe each other a run but it's been kind of sidelined by the pandemic so we went on a run earlier this year i think but uh yeah it's fantastic to see what she's been doing and and many other runners and women out there. But again, runners are all different. We all have different strengths um, and and weaknesses as far as running. And then obviously within our personality, and obviously I spoke about, you know, knowing you for a long time and your evolution, but for runners listening who might not have this sort of platform that you and and some of your colleagues have, um, how could they approach running holistically um, in order to make their running community better?
3: I think, um, you know, not everyone needs to, like, start something new. I think it's more just seeing what's out there and supporting what's already out there because there are a lot of, um, like, even just locally where you are, like, um, youth track clubs or, um, like, there are already organizations that are focused on this. I feel like we just haven't been paying enough attention to them. So I feel like that's a great place to start to see where you can help, whether it's help promote it, help support it, donate to it um you know just look and see what's already around in this in the running community in your area and um just being more aware i guess of like how things are made up you know like who's in charge of this race or who's in charge of this you know um organization and maybe asking why it is the way it is and um you know if there's any if there's anything you can do to affect that and make that look different and more um more welcoming and more, you know, diverse, then that's another step you could take.
1: Yeah. I love that. I love the idea of you don't have to go and like create your own podcast. You don't have to like go start your own uh, nonprofit. You can really bolster and amplify the work that's being done. And, and you know, just really feeling the, the comment you made about that work, not getting the recognition. Um, so I think that's really important. I mean, you, I was laughing. You're like, I'm just a scheduler, you know, like you were saying, I'm, I'm a scheduler. And I'm like, yeah, but that's so important. Cause that's part of the machinery that, you know, makes um, people able to be more of a, uh, you know, a mouthpiece or, or whatever it is. Um, so for this, this last question I have, I'm throwing on here. I'm really, really interested. Cause you know, I, I love the way you talk about representation in the running community. I love the way you approach it. Um, and it, it seems really, you know, fierce to me, uh, because not a lot of folks are talking about it, right? There are some big voices in this space and, um, this keeping track podcast is developing into one of those voices, which is why I'm, I'm tuning in, um, to listen every time it's on. Uh, how do you think this like fierceness in finding this voice and this dedication to representation and equity in the running community is translating into how you compete and how you race as an athlete?
3: You know, I, Unfortunately, I haven't had a ton of races since we started <laughs> because of the pandemic. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I feel like I've always been fierce on the track. You know, that's never mm-hmm. been an area where I feel like I needed to get like, I feel like in in fact, it's the other way like that fueled me to be like, okay, this podcast, I don't know if I can start this. It's a little bit scary. But like, if I can do that on the track, then I can take some of that and do, you know, apply that confidence. And um you know, sort of like boldness off the track. So mm-hmm. I feel like it's more maybe the other way around, but um, we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. It is, it's a little bit actually stressful sometimes if you're talking about something that is controversial and then you have a mm-hmm. race coming up and then you just want it to be separate. You just don't want it to drag to drag into the race buildup. So, um, you know, that, that was an adjustment, I feel like. But um, I feel like it's been great. Like it's been a great like lifeline to our to to the running community like for me personally because you get to talk to these women and a lot of them we know already but some of them we don't know as well as we want to and so it's been cool to like sort of like make those relationships stronger
0: yeah I mean it's just so great to hear that because again just getting to talk to you and a few of our you know recent guests as well we get to see you athletes is more than just super athletes, but the human side and how much you care about the training you go in, you put into, whether it's on the nutrition side, recovery, and, and then obviously on the, you know, on the awareness and, and using your platforms to elevate other people. So I just want to say, you know, thank you so much for, for joining us today. I feel like we could continue to talk to you for on and on, but I'm sure you probably have some training to do. Um, we do look forward to seeing you race again, whether it's with us or, you know, uh, next year or somewhere. But um, thank you very much for for joining us today and sharing some of your wisdom and, and also what you um, have been doing and what you feel passionate about.
3: Yeah, thanks, guys. It's been fun to um, see your face and hear your voices during this time. <laughs> Thank you to Jared and Molly for joining
1: us. These interviews have been so rich with information that's so practical for runners who are trying to shoot for goals, but also runners who are just getting through running at this time. So masterclasses for both of them. Thanks to Jared. Uh, He can be found at on Instagram at jwardy 21, and you can follow Molly on Instagram at Molly Huddle. We also want to thank New York apples and Schneider's pretzel for supporting this episode.
0: Thank you as well to our team who helped make this show happen. Executive producer John Phillips, producers Steve Mura, Ben Delaney, Sam Dupuy, Gordon Bikoulos, Lili Cosaro, and Ted Doyle. And of course, our engineer and editor, Craig Gorbanoff. And to you, the listeners, thanks so much for listening, and we'll see you next week.